0: That this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking of the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at Rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. Church, and we love Jesus, and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us, and we're glad you're here.
1: Well, amen, amen. Hey, it's exciting day to be at church today. Uh, as you all know, we've talked about already, our sister church is opening up today in Metropolis. And so, uh, man, we're praying for God to bring His grace and salvation and restoration in that place. And we're really excited for those guys and those gals over there uh, this morning starting that new plant. And it's fall break, and I see some fall break faces this morning. Hey, tell your neighbor, just say, hey, I'm so glad you're at church this morning. Just tell them. Don't be Big Chief No Fun with your arms crossed staring at me. Tell them. Say, hey, I'm glad you're at church today, man. It's so good to be here. And we're not only p- praying for Metropolis this morning, but we're also hoping, we're praying that God the Holy Spirit would show up here and do something and speak to us and, and just do what he does. Amen? Amen. Amen. And, and that's actually, that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about hoping. We're talking about hope. And hope it can be this peculiar sort of paradox uh, sometimes because a lot of times our hope it leans into really this uh, heavy heavy sort of optimism and, and maybe you've experienced this before I like to call it Ted uh, I call it the lost sock saga. And, and if you ever do your own laundry, you know what I'm talking about. You go into the laundry, you've, you finish it, you've completed it, and you pull out that one lone sock and you wonder where its mate is. Like, you're wondering when the laundry fairies are going to bring it back to you. If there's ever going to be a sock family reunion and you don't throw it away, what do you do? You put it back into the wash again. You, you hope that the other sock's going to come back. That's some, that's some optimistic sort of hope. Or maybe, maybe you've been at the carnival uh, when it comes here off of exit uh, four and you've stood there at that ring toss game with the rings in your hand. And you look at the 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 pegs that are out in front of you, and and every one of those rings symbolizes your hopes and your dreams. And you throw them out there, and then each one just falls to the ground. But you have your eyes, your heart set on that big plush panda bear that's hanging up there. And so, what do you do? You you hand over another twenty dollars, and then another twenty dollars. You're hoping that you're going to hit it and not disappoint your little girl or your little boy or as we hope that the job interview goes well we hope that there's good weather on vacation we hope that our team wins the game but if we're honest there's this really big problem with this sort of hope and oftentimes it can feel h-o-p-e it can feel like like a four-letter word in fact proverbs 13 12 it tells us that hope deferred and this will be on the screen proverbs thirteen twelve hope deferred makes the heart sick hope when it's postponed hope when it's deserted it makes the heart sick and so what do you do when you get there and the glass slipper doesn't fit what do you do when the villain actually wins what do you do when it's an unhappily ever after or you're hoping and and you're trying to get pregnant but you look down and those two faint lines on the stick just aren't there or or, or you check the lottery and it still doesn't match your ticket numbers or they never do call back or a leader lets you down or the doctor delivers the news and the diagnosis that they give turns out to be grim and all of a sudden that once held on to hope, it becomes hopeless. You may not know this, but antidepressants, they're a $17.4 billion industry. And so what this is for us, church, is we have evidence, we have evidence that people are discouraged, that they are distraught, that they are devastated. And and we wonder why. And can I just can I just submit to you this morning? Maybe it's because they've lost their hope. They have a longing for a hope that that, that actually lasts. And if that is true, then the question for you and me, it becomes where do we go to actually find a hope that can last? Because what happens, man, if you look at your circumstances or you look at your resources or you look at your future or you look at your own life, a lot of times, nine times out of ten, it's going to leave you more depressed and more distressed than even when you started looking for hope. And so what I'm getting at is if you found yourself hopeless, in the past week or the past few months or, or in a situation this past year, it's no mistake that you're here today. You're in the right place because God has a word for you from his word. And Paul's going to show us this morning what it means and, and, and how we can have an anchor of real hope. It's not human hope. It's heaven's hope. And it shows up in this, the God factor, the God factor. Tell your neighbor, say, the God factor. When you go to lunch today and people ask you, say, hey, what'd you talk, what'd you talk about at church today? You're going to go, we talked about the God factor. And what the God factor is, is that, that we serve a God of hope and he's given us a message of hope so that we can become a people of hope. And so if you have your Bible, go with me to Romans chapter 4. We're going to read verses 18 through 25 together this morning. This is week 32. This is faith, hope. Beyond hope, Romans four eighteen through twenty five. Since we are got, we're in that fall break mood, I just I'm going to make you keep talking this morning until you smile a little bit. Tell your neighbors I got high hopes. Got high hopes, man. This is Romans four eighteen through twenty five. This is the word of our Lord. This is what it says. In hope, maybe you want to underline that this morning. In hope, he believed against hope. That he, talking about Abraham, should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He didn't weaken in the faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, his wife. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced God was able to do So we're continuing this morning this survey of a guy named Abraham and his life and it's been that Abraham shows up for us as sort of this prototype as this pattern for us to follow in faith in the faith of Abraham and hope to follow and the whole conversation that's been had so far has really centered around this word faith that you and I we are either trusting in In our own works, or we are trusting, we're putting our faith in the works that Jesus has done on our behalf, we either have faith in Jesus or we have faith in ourselves. And the key to Abe's faith is that it's anchored, it's deeply anchored in this, we've called it the God factor this morning. That God is able to do the impossible and that he will be faithful to every single promise that he has ever made. And so Paul, what he's doing is he's closing out chapter four of Romans for us today. And he's answering a few questions. He, he's answering the question of, well, what does it mean to to believe God, Paul? What, is it, what does it mean to have a biblical hope? And, and, and what do I actually have to do to be saved, to have a saving faith, and so we're going to look at Abraham's hope in the context of four hopes this morning, and here those are, just a quick roadmap for you of where we're going. We're going to look at hope against hope, we're going to look at perseverant hope, we're going to look at a righteous hope, and then we'll wrap it up with a resurrection hope, It's a lot of hope. My hope is that you're going to be walking out of this place and its hope is oozing out of your ears this morning from the word, that, that it might encourage you through the God factor. And so we'll pray and then we'll walk through this text together. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your word. And God, we ask you to show up, Holy Spirit, not in a, not in a naive sort of way, but that you, God, the true person of hope would come today, Lord to know that we can push all of our chips into the table on you. And Lord, I pray that that hope we can find that's grown out of our faith, Lord, that it would lead to joy, that it would lead to peace in a world that oftentimes doesn't have much joy and doesn't have much peace. So for the believers in here this morning, I pray, God, that you would help them assess their faith and and, and show them how how you're trying to grow them in it. And for the unbelievers, I pray that they would not only understand, God, what faith is and understand what justification by faith is, God, but that they would actually be able to apply it and receive your grace this morning. Jesus, it's in your good name we pray. Amen. 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 So... So basically, uh, in in verses 18 all the way through 22, Paul, he's telling us about this saving faith, the nature of it, what it means to be saved, and I wrote it down this morning as the God factor, that that it's this hope that's based on so much more than just a positive sort of optimism, and this is so good, this verse, church, it's so good, verse 18, look at it, it says this, in hope he believed against hope that he should become a father of many nations as he'd been told, so shall your offspring be, we know when we look at this verse that he here is Abraham as we've said but what exactly is it that Abraham is is believing in well, he's believing in the promise that God has told him, and Pastor Cody talked about this promise last week, that, that he would be the father among many nations, and, and Paul actually tells us in this verse how Abraham was actually able to, to do this, and it thrusts us, it forces us into this little phrase here that seems to be running in two opposite directions. Look at it. In hope, he believed against hope. In hope he believed against hope. Well what, is, what is that even What does that even mean? Well, it, it means that, that, that Abraham, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham hoped anyway. He hoped anyway. When everything seemed hopeless, he still believed. And what Paul's doing is he's contrasting for us this this earthly human hope set against this supernatural heavenly hope that's based on the promises and the word of God. And it's anchored in this faith in him. It's anchored yeah there's an anchor by the way I brought this video so you could know what an anchor is if you've never seen one but the way an anchor works this is the ultra anchor is it digs deep into the ground it digs into the foundation so that no matter what's going on above in the boat no matter what the circumstances are no matter how the wind's blowing it's grounded in its foundation and that's the same way that our faith is meant to work that it's grounded in this person of Christ and his word and this anchor it actually reminds us of Hebrews chapter 6 19 and 20 that says this we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf church it's it's human hope set against a heavenly hope the first one the human hope is it's just a mere possibility it could it could happen the second one is an assured confidence that's grounded in christ and in his promises and what he said and Paul's saying that Abraham believed in this, in this heavenly hope against human hope, that God's promises about him were going to happen, that it was going to pass. And there's a major, major difference in these two types of hope, in, in this human hope and this heavenly hope. And, and the hope that Paul's talking about, like I said, it's not just based in a, in a positive sort of optimism. This, this hope, it's a, it's a byproduct of our faith. This hope is a byproduct of our faith. In the same way, when a mom goes into the delivery room to birth a baby, so too our faith can birth godly hope. And it's oftentimes when you read the Bible, you'll find those two words interconnected with one another in, in all sorts of places. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 13, it says, uh, but these three things last, faith and hope and love. Uh, Hebrews 11, 1, faith and faith. It's being sure of what we hope for and, and a certainty of the things that we can't see. Romans chapter five, verse two. It says, since we've been justified with faith through our peace with Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, though through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in what? Hope. Of the glory of God. In the scriptures a lot of times faith and hope they operate as a right hand and a left hand together. Because it's cause and it's effect. It's true. It's a tree that's faith and it's a fruit that is hope. See whenever you and I, whenever we believe that the possible is possible. that's That's hope. That's regular hope. But when you and I believe that through God the impossible becomes possible. That's hope beyond hope. To hope against hope means there's no earthly, logical reason really to believe this. And from a worldly perspective... When you look at this story of Abraham, Abraham has no grounds really to to have this sort of confidence. There was no reason for a human hope from him. Instead, he has to believe in heaven's hope being in what God has said. And it's such an audacious promise, church. The father of many nations, you've got this guy and this gal. They don't have any kids at the time. And God says, not only are you going to have one, you're going to have millions. And Abe In the midst of this promise, he's faced, he's faced with some really sort of hopeless circumstances. And so let's see what what this hopeless circumstances were. What were the hopeless earthly conditions that Abraham faced, you might ask? What were the hopeless earthly conditions that Abraham was was facing? Well, Paul's going to tell us two things, Abraham's body and Sarah's womb. Abraham's body and Sarah's womb. Look at verse 19. He didn't weaken in the faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as that. He's about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, Paul tells us here the two stubborn earthly realities that he faces were his own body and his wife's womb. And, and they seem, those, those facts seem to indicate the opposite of what God had promised to Abraham his own body and his wife. Sarah. See, Abraham was probably in his 80s whenever God initially made this promise uh, to him to become a father. And when you look at Sarah, you know, she wasn't really a spring chicken either herself. And uh, so in a literal translation of the Greek I brought for you, I want to show you this to you. In a literal translation of the Greek, this is what it says. Without becoming weak in faith, Abraham considered his body, which had already died because he's about 100, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, what Abraham's facing is he's facing a dead body and his wife and her womb is a tomb. It's two deaths that he's looking at. And these were just the facts. And, and Abraham has to, has to face the facts, the reality of what's going on. And, and he contemplated them. The text tells us, he says, he considered, look at it, he, says, he considered his own body and he, he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, but this consideration didn't set the tone for his belief. God's promise set the tone for his belief. And some people are, are under the impression, you know, like whenever we have faith, some people think that we make this sort of inward pact uh, to just ignore facts. And so, they'll often see faith and fact as two mutually exclusive things. But I want you to know that Abraham here, he's not taking an unreasonable leap of faith in his belief. His leap is strictly God-centered. He didn't believe in himself. He's not just having faith in, in faith. He's not just hoping and being an optimist and thinking positively. He didn't think, okay, well, you know, if if, if Sarah and I, if we just visualize and attack, if we visualize the goal, then it's going to come. So let's just keep doing that over and over again. That's not what he does. He, rather, he looks away from himself. He looks away from his circumstance and he looks at God's promise. And in the middle of this, he gives God glory for it. And sometimes we get this all mixed up, church. We think that faith is some blind leap into, into the dark. And so we'll just go, okay, everybody, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and we're going to jump on three. One, two, three. Jump into the darkness. Hope Jesus catches you. Jesus, take the wheel. Like that. Like, that's, that's what we do in our faith sometimes, right? But, but let me remind you that, that God has never asked us to jump into darkness. No, no, no. He calls us out of the darkness, and God has never uh, asked any believer to crucify their intellect to be a believer. See, th- this heavenly hope, Three really quick things. It's not, it's not a head stuck in the sand kind of faith. The way that Abraham coped, it wasn't with denial. He didn't look at the facts and then just ignore the reality. Now, that's the way we like to deal with stuff, right? We, we want to ostrich our head in the ground, Cody, right? We want to we sweep it under the rug. Pretend that it doesn't exist. So that way, you know, if we, if we ignore it long enough, it might just go away. That's not what Abraham does. That's not heavenly hope. Heavenly hope also isn't just positive thinking. In faith, God, he speaks over our lives through his word. And, 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 and what we try to do, the, the counterfeit of this is whenever you and I, when we speak just these positive affirmations over ourselves, h- hoping it into existence. But just let me remind you, like, we, we don't have that sort of authority. That's just self-help. And, man, we don't, we don't need self-help. We need some God help. And the truth is, We need to hear his voice more. We don't don't need more of our our voices. We need more of his word and and what he says. And lastly, number three, heavenly hope isn't just an optimism. This may not be a popular message, but, you know, sometimes it looks like there's no bright side because there is no bright side, earthly speaking. Sometimes everything looks dark and bleak because everything's dark and bleak. But faith is trusting beyond what you see for what God says. And this sort of faith can breed a hope beyond hope. It's why Paul says in Second Corinthians 5, he says, Hey, we walk by faith and not by sight. This means that sometimes you can't see what God's doing. And so you walk in faith until you see what he says. We walk by faith and not sight. A biblical faith-filled hope, it's an unclenching, unrelenting confidence in God's power and God's purpose and God's plan that's going to be accomplished in God's timing. Faith isn't the absence of faking church, but it is a major shift on who and what you're thinking about. Abraham's faith that faces realities. He didn't overlook this. And, and I want you to notice in the text here that, that also as he's, as he's facing, he's looking dead in the mirror at himself and his wife. It doesn't, it doesn't shatter his faith. Notice it says he didn't weaken. in faith. Abraham knew exactly how old he was. He knew exactly how old his wife was. He looked at his body and her body, and he he looked at the facts square in the eye, yet despite this, he still believed God's promise. How? It's the God factor. It's the God factor. Abraham's hope, it wasn't built on possibility thinking. It wasn't built on positive thinking. It was built on promise thinking. That what God had said will happen. And this is why Paul can claim that Abraham believed in the God who gives life to the dead, Romans 4.17. Because God had brought life out of Abraham's dead body. He had brought life out of Sarah's dead womb and out of this double death. Abraham believed that God would bring new life. And it would be at both times, simultaneously, it would be an act of creation and resurrection that happened from this double death. And there's no human hope for it. Yet he remembered he had a God that raises the dead. And when he thought about Sarah's womb, he remembered that he had a God who calls into existence things that don't exist, looking back at verse 17 again. And that he would take care of everything. And so it's against all human hope without becoming weak in the faith because he had this God of hope that was bringing this message of hope so that we could be a people of hope. It was the God factor. That's the kind of God that Abraham believed in. And so I just wonder this morning, church, what area, what area of your life has God already said? Has God already spoken? Yet your earthly reality doesn't match that truth that's been spoken. And so if that's you, what you need this morning isn't regular hope. You need a hope beyond hope like Abraham did. Now, when you you look at the text in verses 19 through 21, In the Greek, it's written as one single sentence, 19 through 21. It forms a single sentence. And it's written this way so that in the life of Abraham, it would show us that he consistently is believing this, that there's no ground for human belief. So this is perseverant hope to which verse 20 says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. No unbelief made him waver. Now, What Paul is is, is not saying here is that Abraham never had any sort of uh, momentary hesitation. That's not what Paul is saying at all. What Paul is saying is that Abraham avoided this deep-seated, permanent attitude of distrust in the promises of God. In fact, Abraham's story, it's a great story. It reminds us what our stories of faith look like a lot of times. If you'll remember back with me, uh in, in Genesis 15, right? He questions God about the promise. Uh he gave away the promised land that God gave him. He gave away the promised wife God gave him twice. He got uh you know his maidservant pregnant uh trying to push forward the promise that God would give him a son. Church, did did Abraham have this amazing, continuous, unfailing faith? No, no. Our father in the faith, he faltered and failed over and over and over again. And he didn't always live out his, his faith. His obedience, it wasn't perfect. His trust, it, it fluctuated sometimes. But his, his faith, it was never extinguished because it was set in, it was anchored in the one who is perfectly faithful. Did he doubt? Did Abraham ever doubt? Did Sarah doubt? Yeah, they both did, right? God comes and tells them they're going to be pregnant, they're going to have a baby, and Sarah, you know, she, she laughs. She's like, okay, Mama's going to have a baby. Okay, God. <laughs> and that's where we get the name uh, Isaac from. It means laughter. Of course there was doubt. And one of my favorite verses from the New Testament to address this issue of doubt comes from the book of Jude in verse 22. One of my favorite verses, is it says it's real simple. It says, be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful to those who doubt because doubt, it's, a, it's an inescapable part of our condition. It's an inescapable part of the human condition. But let me encourage you with this in in, in saying that when you have doubt, if you would bring that before God, what you're going to find is mercy. When you have doubt, bring that in front of God. And what you're going to find is mercy. In fact, all the disciples, most of the disciples, they started out that way. They had doubt. And Jesus said, hey, just come follow me. So bring your doubt in front of him. Now, there is a difference between... Faith that's struggling. And unbelief. There's a difference between faith that's struggling and unbelief. Unbelief, what it does is it goes, okay, I, I I will not listen. I won't believe. I'm in this struggle. I'm walking away. Faith, on the other hand, it says, okay, I'm in this struggle. God, what are you saying to me in this struggle? God, where are you leading me at in this struggle? In the struggle, I trust you. That's when our faith is seeking understanding from, from God. Abraham's doubts, okay, it wasn't disbelief. He, he wasn't necessarily struggling with a disbelieving faith any more than when we're tempted to sin, that actually being sin. And so what happens is there are going to be tests of our faith that come along that's meant to strengthen our faith and not strip us of our faith. So your adversary, what he's going to do is he's going to tempt you in order to destroy your faith. But God, he will sometimes test you in a way to grow you in faith. So look, God, he's, he's big enough, man. He's big enough to handle all of your questions. Every one of them. He is big enough for those things. And so what you, what you will do, man, if you when you have doubt, if you will just scoot closer to him and not run away, what you will do is you will find mercy at the Father's seat. Abraham, he was tested. And his faith, it grew as a result. Look at what the text says there. He grew strong in his faith. Paul says that in the end, Abraham actually grew stronger as time passed. And that, that phrase there, that little phrase, grew strong, it's in or, Or in simpler terms, it means to put the power in. Just like when you're out driving, Your car, unless you got an electric car, it needs gas to be powered, right? Or if you got an electric car, you plug it in. In the same way, our faith has to be grounded in Christ, grounded in his promises. And whenever you ground your faith in him, in his word, what it's going to enable you to do is move forward in circumstances that you just don't understand. It can actually make you stronger. Do you catch this? The struggle actually grew his faith. Man, John, we sing this sometimes, right? Uh, That's what happens when you wait, right? You get a little stronger. That's what happens sometimes when you have to wait. You get a little stronger. Faith, church, it's a gift of God that he gives to us. And like so many of his good gifts, it is our job to steward and appropriate that gift well. Do you know it's your job to steward the faith God has given you? And so, so how, do we, how, do we actually grow? how do we actually grow in faith? Do you and I, or, or is God calling us to intentionally run into a struggle so that we have an opportunity for our faith to grow? No, of course not. Of course not. The key is to grow in faith, is to grow in your knowledge and relationship of the object of your faith, who is Christ Jesus because your faith, it can only be as good as the object that it's centered on. And so Abe, he's expressed his faith in God. He's growing stronger. The text says that ultimately he's bringing, he gives glory to God. Verse 20, he gave glory to God. This is saying here that he gave glory to God by letting God just be God. He gave glory to God by letting God be God. By, by, by just trusting him, by putting his trust in him behind all of the promises always lies the character of the person making the promise. Behind every promise, you always have to consider the character of the person who's making the promise. And verse 21 continues this same thought, fully convinced that God was able. God was able. It's such a good verse that God was able. Underline that in your Bible maybe this morning. He is fully convinced that God is able to do Anything God said that he could do. And so, how can you and I, how can we be convinced that God is able? How can we can be convinced of that? Well, I want to bring in front of you three faith factors this morning. Three faith factors. Just really quickly, we run through these. Number one, faith, it always factors in the ability of God. Number two, faith, it submits to the sovereignty of God. And number three, faith trusts in the goodness of God. So really quickly on these. Number one, faith factors in the ability of God and his power. The ability of God and God's power. Whenever we just do positive thinking, what, what we're talking about in that is mind over matter. And when we say that, the power, it comes from me. And so I'm the one that ultimately makes the change. But, but biblical faith is about the power of God over matter. And so the power, it comes from God and God makes the change because God's the only one who's able to do anything about it in the first place. And so surely, surely Abraham has looked at this situation with with his own body, with Sarah's body, and he's considering the ability of God in this, right? Like I've I, I just imagined with me, he's going, okay. If there is a Creator God out there, and I know that there is because He's spoken to me. If there is a Creator God, He must must have all power. There can't be any limit to His power. God knows that Sarah and I, that we're both old. But but, but this is the God who's hung the sun and the moon uh, in the sky. He's the one that has scattered the stars like sands of the seashore. And, And so, how ridiculous is it of me to think that our age could become an obstacle that God couldn't overcome? He considers God's power, and it strengthens his belief. Secondly, in order for you to help you flex your, your your spiritual muscle of faith, number two, faith, it submits to God's sovereignty. And this is real quick. What happens, church, is if you and I, if we only look at God's ability, if we only factor in through faith, God's ability without submitting to God's sovereignty, what it's going to do sometimes is it's going to leave us really confused. It's going to leave us really confused because while he does have the ability to heal. He doesn't always heal or heal in the way that we hoped he might heal. God, does he have the ability to throw mountains into the sea? Of course he does. But he doesn't doesn't always throw mountains. God is never going to do anything that contradicts his plan. And so God has never promised us a storm-free life. Think back with me to Luke chapter 8, just really, really quickly on this. Whose idea was it for the disciples to get in the boat and go across the lake? Jesus. Do that Sunday school answer. Jesus. Yes, Jesus. And look at what it says. He he said to them, they got a the boat, and he said to them, let's go across the other side of the lake. So they set out, following. Listen, it's following Jesus' command led them directly into a storm. Following Jesus' command led them directly into a storm. And sometimes, church, following God in faith will be like that. Sometimes following God in faith will be like that, and you and I, we don't understand, and we can't comprehend, and we only see this like short picture of the picture, but he's the Alpha and the Omega, he sees the beginning and the end and the middle and everything around, he sees everything, and I love what A.W. Tozer says to this, listen to this quote, he says, while it looks like things are out of control behind the scenes, there is a God who has not surrendered his authority. Man, how good is that? See, whenever you have faith or are called to exercise faith like Abraham, there's always going to be earthly obstacles to it. There's always going to be obstacles. And so faith means knowing that God can. It's, it's trusting that and believing that God will, hear me on this, but it's clinging to him even when he doesn't. Even when he doesn't. I still hold on. Faith is, isn't an assurance that everything's going to be okay. But faith is an assurance that God is in control. This is hope beyond regular human hope. This is heavenly hope, a supernatural hope. This is the God factor. And then uh, lastly, number three, really quickly, faith intentionally trusts in the goodness of God. Faith intentionally trusts in the goodness of God, that he's faithful. And I, I wanna point out that word there, emphasize it, intentionally, intentionally. Sometimes we think that, you know, faith is just something that sort of works on autopilot. And so we think about our faith like a thermostat that's supposed to just kick in, you know, on its own whenever it's supposed to. So when a circumstance shows up, it should just like uh, automatically come on like a nest or something. And, and we feel like that if we have faith, when a, when a great crisis comes along, it should just autopilot. But Luke, using Luke 8 again as a reference point on this, listen. All right, Luke 8, they go through the storm. Um, Jesus is asleep everybody's freaking out about the storm that's going around (coughs) they're 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 running around they they wake Jesus up they're going Jesus a severe thunderstorm is happening how can you sleep in this moment And, and Jesus gets up and he speaks and everything goes calm and then listen to this response he turns to them and asks where is your faith where's your faith It couldn't be more clear from from Luke 8 for us that that faith, it operates on a manual setting. You have to put it into action. And whenever you do this in the midst of impossible situations, what's going to happen is that other people are going to look in there and go, hey, hey, how are you standing up on your two legs still? And you're going to go, hey, it's easy. It's the God factor. It's hope beyond hope. True faith rests in God's ability, it submits to God's sovereignty, and it trusts that he is good all the time, that he is faithful. And so Abraham, he doesn't know exactly how this word's going to get fulfilled, but, 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 but that's incidental because he knows the God who's going to fulfill the promise, and that he was able to do everything he said he would do. And as his mind focused on the, the, the promise of God, his problem started to shrink and it's credited to him as righteous. Look at verse 22 through 24. This is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. That word counted there, credited, it's the word uh which we've talked about this word previously, earlier in the book of Romans, and this is a this is a secular bookkeeping term originally, and, and it was used to make an entry into the accountant's book um, or into someone's specific a personal account. And so the whole conclusion here from Paul on Abraham and his argument that, that, hey, Abraham is justified by faith, uh, because of his faith, it, it, this hope beyond hope by him placing his trust in this sure anchor in the, the power and the promise and the plan of God. And what happens is as he places his faith in Christ, it's credited, it's counted to him as Christ's righteousness. And it's added into Abraham's spiritual bank account. And so forever the books are balanced between he and God with this. And as Paul wraps up this chapter, church, he wants to make this personal from you and me too. Look what it says. He says, it was counted uh, to him and it wasn't written for his sake alone, but for ours also. What does what is Abraham's experience? His faith. Like, what does it really have to do with you and me? I mean, Paul's talking about a guy that's been dead for some 4,000 years. What, what, what could it possibly have to do with us? Well, Paul doesn't want us to look in at this story and he, he doesn't want us just to cheer on Abe and be like, give me an A, give me a B, give me an E, go away. That, that's not what he's saying. Paul doesn't want us to look at this story and go, brilliant argument, Paul. That's not what he wants us to do. He wants it to come to our front door. The whole Abraham story, like the rest of the scripture, is meant to teach us. Romans 15 verse 4. Paul's point in this chapter is not just some antiquated history lesson. We need to apply it personally. The Bible was written first so that you and I would understand it, but then secondarily so that we would actually apply it. So that we would receive it and then apply it. And here's the application, okay? It's the same God. It's the same God that credited righteousness to Abraham's account. That will credit righteousness to you also if you would believe. If you would believe that Jesus, our Lord, has been raised from the death. Paul's not asking us to admire this story, but he's calling us to believe in the life-giving God of Abraham. We are to live by faith in this all-powerful, life-giving, barrenness-overcoming, miracle-working, death-defeating God. That's who Abraham is pointing to. That's who Paul is pointing to. Abraham wasn't unique in his experience of, of receiving saving faith. This is how God saves everybody. This is what it means to be a Christian. Our hope, our only hope in life and in death is in trusting the Word of God. There is nothing else to trust in. There is no other hope. Everything else, else passes away by rust and moth. The only hope we have is Christ. And he says here, it gets more specific with it. This is the resurrection hope. Verse 24b and 25, he says, It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Listen to this. In Christ's death. What he did is he paid your and my sin debt, if you would believe in him. He paid for the sin debt in his death. And what happened in his resurrection is that God the Father exonerated us. So in his death, he paid our debt. And in his resurrection, he, justi- he was justified, justifying us. And so it's both the death and the resurrection that are attributed here to God the Father. It was God the Father who delivered up Jesus to the cross. And also, it was God the Father's initiative. It was God the Father who raised Jesus from death. We sinned and he suffered. He raised so we can be justified. It's a double imputation. Now, he did something in our place as a substitute. And then what God did is he accepted the the transfer of guilt onto his son, giving us his son's righteousness. Or let me put it like this. Jesus paid a pecuniary or monetary debt and a moral debt, and they're not the same thing. This is the last thing. Listen to me. Jesus paid a pecuniary debt, a monetary debt, and also a moral debt, and they're not the same thing. So imagine with me like this. Imagine with me that you're at an ice cream shop. What's your favorite ice cream shop. You, Froyo, wherever you like to go to get your your ice cream and you go in to get your ice cream and you know this little this little boy who comes in through the door to order his ice cream and, and he goes and he asks the waitress behind the counter for two scoops. And so uh, he he reaches down into his pocket. She said that'll be five dollars. He reaches down into his pocket and he he pulls out and you can see on his face, his lip quiver a little bit because he only has $2. And, and so he asked the waitress, he says, I hope that this is enough. Now, what would you do in that moment if you were there? Well, you would do what anybody else would do, right? You'd say, hey, it's okay. I'll pay for what he owes. Put, put the rest on my tab. I'll pay the rest of that. Now, okay, this lady, she has the $5 in hand now. Is she obligated to accept that For the ice cream of course she is right of course it doesn't matter where it came from that's what the price is and and so she has to accept that and everybody gets ice cream we're all good we go home now let's reimagine the same story but just a little bit differently let's change the narrative just a little bit Let's say you're standing at that same ice cream shop in the counter and runs in this little boy and he he yeets himself over the counter behind the counter where the waitress is at and he grabs an ice cream, one scoop, two scoop, puts it in the comb and then jumps out and runs back out the door with the ice cream. And the waitress is is yelling. She she points at him. She's yelling, "Stop, thief!" And outside there's a there's a police officer, unbeknownst to the boy. And unfortunately for him, and he sees all of this happen. And so he grabs hold of the boy before he can get away and brings him back into the shop. And he asks the waitress, says, "Ma'am, is, is this is this the one? What did he do?" And she says, "Yeah, he he stole from me. He took not one ice cream scoop, but two ice cream scoops, and not to mention the cone. He's taken all of these things. And as you're watching all of this." go down you say okay look look hold on hold on, hold on officer it's okay I'll pay you reach in your pocket you pull out five dollars say I'll pay for the debt that that he owes and the officer turns to the woman and he says ma'am you don't have to accept this payment of money why because this little boy has broken the law He's morally transgressed. He's got a moral debt. Would you like to press charges? Now this woman, church, in this moment, she has every right under the law to press charges. She's under no obligation to receive the payment of this little boy's debt. If she has mercy, she might accept the offer, but she's not bound by the offer. That's the difference in a pecuniary, a monetary, and a moral debt. See, whenever a moral trespass happens, that's the language Paul uses in the text, a, a trespass, whenever so this sort of debt takes place, the offended party has no obligation to accept the payment of the substitute on behalf of the guilty. And so just as the store owner wasn't, wasn't bound by obligation to accept the payment, in the same way, God the Father was not under obligation to accept the payment on our behalf. But not only did He accept the payment, He also still had to press charges. This is what Paul's getting at. Christ Jesus, he came and he laid down his life for his, his sheep. He offered himself in a perfect righteousness and he took upon himself the sins of his people. But God, God the father had to do infinitely more than, than just accept payment. He had to press charges. And so Jesus was still charged by God. He still had to be punished with our sin. And so Jesus, he went to the cross and he was punished and the payment was made and now God can forgive us and he can still maintain his holiness apart from sin and what happens is that not only in his death but when he is raised from death as the father raises him this is the father declaring to the whole world i accept this payment jesus paid for the dead and when the father raises him he's telling the whole world and declaring i accept this on the cross the payment was made and the tomb forgiveness was expressed Abraham's whole story has been building to this moment. It's been building to this moment, church, and and, and there was no human hope for Abraham. No human hope for, for Sarah. Their hope foreshadowed this resurrection hope that would come through Jesus. In this text, it's been about the promises of God. But most importantly, it's about trusting in and hoping in the God of hope who is Jesus. Jesus is God's best promise for you and for me. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And you and I, we can have no eternal hope, no eternal life, except through Christ's righteousness that Jesus paid the tab and that the Father accepted the payment. Therefore, you and I, we can face the the loss of a lot of stuff that we enjoy. We can grieve loss when those are taken away from us that we love. (laughs) Yeah, we can do this and still not lose our hope or feel like our life isn't worth living because the person who believes God can face anything and say, hey, I I still have God's promises and that is enough for me. Because our God, man, he's in the business of making dead people alive and he raises from a womb and he raises from a tomb and he brings some things out of nothings and therefore me and you we should be this this faith-fueled hope-filled people because justification by faith reminds us of God's power and, and and his grace and his faithfulness it reminds us that God keeps his promises and if God kept his promises to Abraham what makes you think he wouldn't keep his promise to you hope is the God factor